Heavenly Father, please bless us right now. We ask for the Holy Spirit, for the real Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to teach us here in this class the biblical message of Jesus Christ as our righteousness. Please help us right now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we just stopped Romans chapter 3. I showed you in chapter 3, verse 10, that everybody is in sin. Verse 19 says the same thing. The whole world is guilty before God. Verse 20 says the law shows us our sins. And then verses 21 to 26, Paul lifts up Jesus Christ and his righteousness. This is all right straight out of the book of Romans. I learned what I'm sharing with you really by reading the writings of, of, of E.J. Wagner. I got a hold of some of his lectures on microfilm that were not anywhere that someone had found and printed out some of the writings of Wagner in 1887, in 1888, the very time when he gave those messages at the Minneapolis General Conference. And I was so moved by what I read. And he, he pointed me right to Romans and he basically dissected what Paul wrote in Romans 3 in the book of Galatians, point by point by point. And I learned what the Bible says through the Holy Spirit impressing me through reading the writings of Wagner. And it's just right here. It's right here in the Bible. So anyway, we just talked about the righteousness of Christ, that God's law is a righteous law showing us what's right and what's wrong. When we look at the law, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins, and then the Bible lifts up Jesus Christ. Now, when the Bible says that in, in Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6, it says that Jesus has a special name, and the name is the Lord our righteousness. Now, think about this. If righteousness is defined, as Ellen White says, by the Ten Commandments, and as Paul says in Romans 8.4, Romans 9.31, and many other verses, if God's law is a righteous law, then what does it mean that Jesus Christ is our righteousness? What does that mean? What it means is that Jesus came down here as a human being. He was born of a virgin, Mary. He took our humanity upon himself and he grew up and he lived for 33 years. And during the 33 years of Jesus' life in human form, he kept the Ten Commandments perfectly. He never broke even one of the Ten Commandments, did he? When, uh, when, when Jesus, it says in the Bible, in Luke chapter 2, that he was subject to Joseph and Mary, which commandment was he keeping? Number five, that's right. He honored his father and mother. And when he did that, Jones said this, A.T. Jones, he said that when, when Jesus kept a commandment, he basically wove a stitch, another stitch in a robe of righteousness for you. When he uh, was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil after his baptism, and Satan said, if you'll just bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus said, it is written, get behind me, Satan. He said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Which commandments was he keeping? He was keeping the first one, putting his father first. No idols. And when he did that, he wove another stitch in a robe of righteousness for you. When Jesus said, I tell you the truth, I speak the truth. He was keeping the ninth commandment. He never lied. And if you go commandment by commandment, Jesus Christ kept every single commandment perfectly throughout his entire life. 
I tell you, and the, and the more you think about this, this is amazing. Every time Jesus resisted the devil, he wove a stitch in his robe of righteousness for you. I tell you, Jesus Christ is my hero. People have heroes these days. You know, they worship Michael Jordan. They worship Oprah. They have all these heroes, you know. They swoon over these basketball players and sports stars and television talk show hosts and all these different people. And kids have their cartoon heroes, you know, the ninjas and all these different heroes. Uh, but my hero, and hopefully your hero, is Jesus Christ himself. There is no one that has done more for any of us than Jesus. He's it. And when he was here, he kept every single one of these Ten Commandments with you in mind. And he just, you know, he set his face. There's no way he's going to sin. No way. When the devil tempted him, he just said, no way, Satan, I will not sin. I will not sin. I will not sin. Get out of here, Satan. I will not sin. No, 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 no. And the only way that any of us are going to get to heaven is because of what he did because of what he did. And so here you see a law, and here you see a picture of Christ with a white robe. He's our righteousness because he kept the law perfectly for us for 33 years without a stain, without a flaw. And not only that, but at the end of his life, if you look closely at this picture, what do you see in the middle of the law? You see a cross. At the end of his life, Jesus in Gethsemane and on the cross, he made a decision that he was going to take all the sins of the world, all the breaking of the law that you've done and that I've done, every single violation of God's commandments, he took them into his mind, into his heart. He prayed in Gethsemane, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And he said, nevertheless, not my, my will, but your will be done. And he decided, I'm going to go all the way. There's a song I listen to, and it talks about Jesus carrying the cross and going up, to the, going up Calvary. And it says something like, uh, the words are something like, you know, why did, he, why did he do this for us? Why did he die? And it says, as he struggled up that hill, without a thought of turning back, he, he set his face to, to Calvary. And it says, why did he die? Why did he do this? And it says, he died for love. He died for freedom. He died for you. He died for me so that he could do all of this for us. And I mean, he is, he's my hero. He's the hero of all. I tell you, I can't wait to get to heaven. I just can't hardly stand it. You know, I've been praying and praying and praying for my wife and my kids. There's nothing I want more than to see my Lord and to have my children with me and to have my wife with me. I'm tired of this world. I'm sick of this world. I found a better, a better hope than what's in this world. And, and my hope is in, that, is in Jesus himself. Once you understand that in the light of the law, you're lost. You're lost. You're guilty. And you have no way out. Once you really get that, and the idea that one of these days you're going to stand before God, and there's the Ten Commandments, and you're going to stand before him accountable for all of your sins of breaking his law, once you get it and it just burns into your heart, then when you see Jesus lifted up on the cross and you see his perfect robe of righteousness, then you, you get it and you know that he's it. My hope of eternal life is in him. It's in him. He's the only way. 
the only way. Paul says in Romans 3, verse 26, he says, To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, which means God upholds the justice of his law. He hasn't gotten rid of his law. He hasn't changed his law. He hasn't lowered his law. He's upheld his law that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. In Steps to Christ, page uh, 62, it says that, that Jesus died for us and he rose from the dead and now he offers to take our sins and give us his righteousness. And it says, if you give yourself to him, and that's where you have to make a choice. The statement I read earlier where Ellen White says that when the law is magnified and the people are brought to make a decision for or against the truth, they have to make a choice. Once you realize that this law applies to you and that God says you are to put him first, no idols, he's to be everything, your Lord of all, and then you see the cross right next to it, the law and the cross together, then you have to make a choice. You can't continue you know, to just go on, you, you gotta be one, on one side or the other. And then she says that if, if you give yourself to him and accept him as your savior, then sinful as your life may have been, I'm quoting Steps to Christ, page 62. She says, for his sake, you are accounted righteous. Christ's character stands in the place of your character and you are accepted before God just as if you had not sinned. See that? That's what she says. So when you, when you realize that God is a just law, but Jesus is your savior, and you choose to give up your sins and to accept him as your savior, then he can put his righteousness over you and cover you from all of your sins. And so then when God looks at you, when you stand before the judge and you stand before the Ten Commandments, you can stand before the Ten Commandments totally not guilty, as if you never sinned. And the guilt on your conscience, you know, when you look at the Ten Commandments and the Holy Spirit convicts your heart and you see your own personal violations, if you then give those violations to Jesus and say, Lord, I give them to you, I trust in you as my Savior, God can lift those burdens off of your conscience and they're gone. They're gone. And you can then stand up in the sight of God as if you've never sinned. I tell you, that's powerful. And, and that has changed my life. It has helped me to be free of my guilt and given me a chance to have a new life. Now that's what Paul says. Jesus took our justice so he could give us his mercy. That's what he did on Gethsemane and on the cross. Justice came down on the cross so Jesus could give you his mercy and cover you with his righteousness and legally and legitimately and fairly and justly in the sight of the whole universe, he could say, you're not guilty. You're not guilty because you trust in me and you've given me your sins and I've given you my righteousness and you're, you're clear. You're clear. Powerful. Now, if you continue on to chapter 5, look at Romans 5. Romans 5, verse 1. Paul says, therefore, being justified by faith. And again, to be justified means to be not guilty before God. You're scot-free. You're clear. 
you're justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with him. We're, we're not guilty anymore. We're, we're, we're free. Our sins are forgiven. They're, they're, they're uh, washed away in the blood of the Lamb. Now then, he goes on and says, verse 5, he says, hope does not make us ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who is given to us. Now, don't miss this point. In Romans 5, verse 1, he says we're justified. And then in verse 5, he says the Holy Ghost comes. The Holy Spirit comes. And the point is that the Holy Spirit can come into your heart bringing the love of God. He comes in through the doorway of justification by faith. Romans 5.1 describes how you're justified by faith. It's not you, it's him. Your focus is him, not you. I heard about a, uh, a little plaque on someone's refrigerator that said, Lord, I found the problem, it's me. And then, and then it says, my child, I have the answer, it's me. And the point is that when you look away from yourself and realize that there's no hope in you, your hope is in Jesus Christ. And your trust is in him. You can be justified by faith in him. That becomes the doorway for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to bring the love of God into your soul. That's what verse 5 says, isn't it? That's what verse 5 says. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who is given to us. Now when the Holy Spirit comes into the heart through the channel of justification and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, then what happens? What does he do to your heart? He changes your heart. He renews your heart. He renovates your heart. Now look at chapter 8, verse 4. Romans 8 verse 4 says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled where? In us. Now was it fulfilled in Jesus? Yes. yes it was fulfilled in Jesus first. And that we have to have that first. It's fulfilled in Jesus first. And then when what happened to him then comes to us. And the Holy Spirit comes in then the righteousness of the law can be fulfilled in us. Paul says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Does Paul ultimately point to commandment keeping in the book of Romans? Yes, yes he does. Now, can we be justified by the law? No. Can we be saved by the law? No. Can, can obeying the law lift our guilt off of us? No. Only trusting in Christ, repenting, and trusting in Christ as our Savior. And we do have to repent. We have to repent. We don't want to leave out that word. We have to choose to give up our sins and embrace Christ. And when we do, he can forgive us by his grace. Grace, grace, grace. Wonderful grace. My little daughter, she's five. She's learning piano. She just started. And she's learning amazing grace. She sits there, amazing grace. And she wants to lead out every night for worship. She wants to sing and pray and practice amazing grace. She's learning that song. Grace is amazing. And grace becomes real when you know that you're a sinner who has broken the law. And then once you receive grace and forgiveness, the Holy Spirit comes in, changes your heart, 
and that's what changes you, and then you become a commandment keeper. Only then. You, you don't try to keep the law in order to be justified. You realize you can't be saved by yourself. You embrace Jesus as your Savior. He forgives you, and then he gives you power to keep the law. That's the order. That's the order in Romans. That's the only way. There's no other way. If you're trying to get to heaven by keeping the law without Christ, or even just to have Jesus give you strength to keep the law until you've been justified, he said, you, you, you know, you're just like kind of a hamster going around and around and around in a, in a little wheel. You ever seen hamsters going in wheels? They go around and around and around and they get nowhere. You, your life will get nowhere. You can get out of the wheel through faith in Christ. The more you trust in Jesus and what he did outside of you, the more power you're going to have inside of you. Got it? The more you trust in what Jesus did outside of you, the more power you're going to have inside of you. The danger of the emerging church in the new age is it makes people start looking inside of themselves. And eventually they think that they're God. Big mistake. They're not God. They're sinners. They've broken the law. They need to repent. They need Jesus Christ. The only way we can have an experience that we talked about this morning, people looking for an experience, the experience is through repenting of sin, trusting in Christ, receiving the Holy Spirit, being born again, and becoming commandment keepers. That's the experience, and that's the only way to get it. And if you try to get it any other way, you'll be deceived. You'll end up ultimately following, following the devil. Now, let's go to the book. Let's see where I've got here. Uh, back to Revelation. Revelation 14. Revelation 14, 12. Here's the conclusion of the third angel that we read at the beginning. Here it is. Here is the patience of the saints. Now notice they are saints. Before you can become a saint, you must know you are a what? A sinner. That's right. Sinners and saints. We've got to know we're sinners in order to become saints. And then it says, here are they that keep the commandments of God. The only way that you can keep the commandments of God is by first realizing that you have done what? That you've broken them. You can't just start keeping. You have to know you've broken. And once you've broken, then your confidence is you have faith in Jesus Christ. Now this phrase, the faith of Jesus, uh, I'll just give you my opinion. Some people think the faith of Jesus means that we have Jesus faith. I don't believe that. Uh, Ellen White talks about this. She says, what is the faith of Jesus? She says, the commandments have been preached, but not the faith of Jesus by our people as equal importance. And then she says, what is the faith of Jesus? And then she says, the faith of Jesus is Christ becoming our sin bearer. And, and it is total and ultimate confidence in him that he's the one who can save us. She says that is the faith of Jesus. That's it. Uh, in Galatians 6, I'm sorry, 2.16, Paul talks about the faith of Jesus. And he says, even we who have believed in Jesus. And basically what I see him saying is the faith of Jesus is a phrase which really means faith in Jesus Christ rather than trying to be justified by the law. We, we often try to be just, justified by the law. He said you can't do it. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ. And the phrase, the faith of Jesus, is a phrase that means 
that we have confidence in Jesus Christ alone as our Savior, not in our commandment keeping in order to be saved. It's our confidence in Christ. And as we have confidence in Christ, he forgives us, changes us, empowers us, and then we become commandment keepers. Commandment keepers, these commandment keepers have to be born. And the only way that this can happen is through the message of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That he's the one who kept the commandments of God perfectly for us. He offers us his righteousness. We receive his righteousness. We receive him. Then we receive his spirit fully and he can help us to obey. That's the way it is. And the message of Christ our righteousness does not get rid of the law of God. It doesn't minimize it. It doesn't do away with it. It doesn't ignore it. It lifts it up higher and higher and higher. So we see our condition, and then we can understand the message of Jesus and his righteousness. Does that make sense? And that's where the third angel's message leads us. Now, let me, uh, I think, you know, I think I can probably do this right here. All right, let me see if I've got all this in here. Yeah, I do. I'll just do it right here. All right. How many of you, I'm sure you remember the day the towers fell. Remember that? How many of you remember what day of the week that happened? So Tuesday, that's right. Tuesday. And I've given this, I, what I'm telling you right now, I have told mixed audiences with, Sunday, with people that go to church on Sunday. And they've listened to exactly what I'm telling you. And it makes sense to them. And I've asked the crowd, uh, and I actually, I have a whole other, you know, I don't know if I should, let me just, uh, let me just do this real quick here. Part two. And I'll just show you quickly. This, my second talk is called September 11 and the Mark of the Beast when I give it in public. Here it's called Christ Our Righteousness, Part Two. And I go through this in front of a crowd and I explain to them, oops, there's our website. Well, I go into a few things. Uh, three angels' messages, the third angel's message, the ancient Protestant voices still speak, showing who the beast is, who the real beast is. The Roman church, I still believe, is the biblical beast. None of that has changed. The Roman church changed the Sabbath into the first day of the week. And one of these days, this is going to be enforced by law. Is this possible, a national Sunday law? Uh, Constantine passed a first law in the fourth century. There have been blue laws throughout America, early, especially early American history. The Roman Catholic Church is pushing for Sunday legislation. The European Sunday Alliance is pushing for Sunday legislation. Now I go back to 911. That's just a quick overview. Uh, the towers came down on Tuesday. Three days later was a Friday. Friday was, they had a big, pretty much a church service in the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. I saw it on television. And Billy Graham was there representing the Protestant world. Um, an imam was there representing the Muslim community. A rabbi spoke representing Judaism. There was a cardinal there representing the Catholic Church. Presidents were there from, you know, all the living presidents were in the crowd. There were senators, congressmen. Because when the t Twin Towers went down in New York, I mean, this was a big event. Because the United States, in spite of its problems, is still the most powerful nation on Earth. Just like Revelation 13 predicts. It is. Still is. And 
when something big happens in America, it affects the rest of the world. It does. And so people were scared when uh, those towers went down. And they went to church, or they went to this gathering, all these different religions, and the basic focus of the uh, church service was unifying the world's religions to pray to God in the middle of a big crisis. That's what was going on. Now, two days later, what happened? What's two days from Friday? Sunday. What significant, what of significance happened on the Sunday following 911? That's right. A lot of people went to church. In fact, more people went to church on the Sunday following September 11 than had been to church in a long time. And to me, this is a major prophetic lesson from 911. And the lesson is that when you have a big crisis, next you're going to have a move toward unity, and the next thing is people are going to be flocking to church on Sunday. That's exactly what happened. And the whole world saw it. And this is not just Seventh-day Adventists creating something. I mean, and I thought about this when I saw that week I was living in Texas, and I, it just was ringing in my ears. Crisis, unity, Sunday. Crisis, unity, Sunday. And it became so clear to me that if we have another crisis, a big one, which we are going to have, when we have another big crisis, we're going to see the same things happen. We're going to see crisis. We're going to see a move toward unity. And then we're going to see people flocking to church. Now, uh, the, the 911 crisis, the stock market, they stopped trading. This, the Dow went down. They stopped it so it didn't go down to zero or a dollar, which would have completely turned the world upside down. But eventually, the, uh, the crisis resolved itself. Now the Dow is back up to it's like 15,000. And even though it's been a rocky road, uh, generally speaking, we have weathered that crisis, and it's pretty much behind us. But Daniel tells us that there's going to be a time of trouble such as never was that's going to come in the future. And we are approaching the perfect storm. I mean, we're, we're almost there. Where uh, I don't know if you've read about the bees, the vanishing of the bees, the uh, colony collapse disorder, all the bees that are disappearing. It was the front cover of Time Magazine, August 19, the collapse of the bees. And if this continues to go on, a third of the world's, world's food supply is going down. Because a third of the food that we eat is directly connected to the bees, the pollination of bees. And if the bees continue to disappear like they're disappearing, it's going to bring the, the world's food supply into a major crisis. And that's just one issue. Natural disasters, another issue. The economy, another issue. Morality, another issue. Uh, Al-Qaeda is still out there. Uh, there's a whole host of things. The oil issue, peak oil. There's a whole host of things that are, that are moving, moving together. Have you read that uh, the, the um, volcano that's underneath Yellowstone, looks like it's getting ready to blow. And they say that could, that could affect a third of the country. It's the, one of the biggest volcanoes in the world is underneath Yellowstone, and it's becoming very, very active. I don't know what is going to be the catalyst of the final crisis, but I know from my Bible there's no doubt that we are heading toward a big crisis that's going to be bigger than September 11. And it can happen just like that very quickly. 
And when it happens, we're going to see the same thing as what happened during the week of 911. We're going to see a crisis. We're going to see the world's religions coming together in a move toward unity. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that we will see people flocking to church. Now, here's, now here's the next step. If we don't get out of the crisis like we did September 11, if the crisis doesn't get better, but if it continues to, sky, to go down and people have trouble getting food, you know, water. Most people are living in cities where our water supply is totally dependent upon municipalities. Uh, our food comes from the supermarkets. Most people are not growing their own foods. Our electricity comes from the power companies. And if we get hit by some huge crisis and all of a sudden people are, are out of food, out of water, out of power, then we're going to see things really get desperate really quickly. And people will be going to church, flocking to church. And if things don't get better, if things get worse, then what's going to happen is Sunday attendance is going to shift to Sunday legislation. In an hour of desperation, do you have a comment? You mean, you mean the week of September 11? Oh, yeah, Katrina. Definitely. These are all windows into the future. So we look at these things. We look at 911. We look at Katrina. We look at, you know, these disasters that are happening. And you can see what's coming. You can see it. And when it comes, eventually, we will have Sunday legislation. I guarantee you. Because just like they're just like September 11, you know, crisis unity Sunday, it's going to happen again. And when things get real bad, people are going to be looking to God and saying, "We have to get to God." And if we don't get to God, we're we're in big trouble. And then the governments and the religions, with the Catholic Church, which is still the strongest church in the world, is the Roman Catholic Church. We have six of the nine Supreme Court justices are Roman Catholic. The Roman Catholic Church has a strong influence in Washington D.C. Do not think that the beast is dead. The beast is still very, very, very powerful and active around the world with an agenda to take over the world for sure. For sure. And we will see Sunday laws as a final attempt to bring the world back to God in an hour of desperation. That's where we're heading. Now, here's where I want to go with all of this. The, the bottom line is when that time comes, when the crisis hits and we all of a sudden find ourselves in a different world. You know, if you have a big earthquake in L.A. and a big earthquake in New York, a couple of disasters in a very short time, we can wake up overnight and find ourselves in a different world. And then all of a sudden, you know, when Sunday is enforced by law, we're going to find ourselves in the middle of the mark of the beast. And then my question is, then what? Then what's our message? What do we say to the world when that final time comes? I tell you, we can't say, you know, let's just get inside of ourselves and say, uh, om and meditate. You know, that's not going to work. Visualize world peace, brother. Just visualize world peace. No, that's not going to work. You know, th this whole emerging church thing, it's just the whole thing. It's all just going to fall apart. Although Satan will be appearing uh, as, as people that have died spiritualism will continue to grow and protestantism catholicism spiritualism will all come together in one final conglomeration of deception 
and Satan will even appear as Christ and say, Sunday's my day. I changed the day from Sabbath to Sunday, and now I want you to all to go to church on Sunday and pray, and God will work it all out if we do that. That's what's going to happen. So then when that time comes, brothers and sisters, what do we do? Well, that is the time when Sunday is enforced by law nationally. That is the time for the final message of the three angels. When that time comes, Whitehorse Media, by the grace of God, is going to send out press releases to the media. And I'm going to try to get on radio shows. I've been on hundreds of radio shows. I have a, a, there's a show that a week from today, October 19, Pittsburgh, KDKA, the Rob Pratt Show, I'll set my alarm for 2 o'clock, and I'll call the show, and Rob will, I'll get patched in, and I'll be with Rob for probably a half an hour a week from today. He is a Roman Catholic talk show host. I've been on with him many times discussing issues. Never discussed this. I've sent him a desire of ages, but we've never talked about this. But, when, but we, we know how to send out press releases and get interviews on shows. And I'm going to send out press releases. I'm going to talk to Rob Pratt. I'm going to try to get on Fox News. We're going to send out uh, information about the mark of the beast and what this means. And I'm going to try to get on shows. And God's going to have people all over the world who are going to have one mission in mind. And that is to give the third angel's message with a loud voice during the final crisis. And uh, I hope to get on Bill O'Reilly's show and uh, get on the no spin zone and, and have Bill come to me. He's Catholic. Sean Hannity's Catholic. And a lot of these talk show hosts are Catholics. And I'd, I'd like to get on with Bill and have him say, Steve Wahlberg, you are a Seventh-day Adventist. And you, I understand you believe that the enforcement of Sunday observance is the mark of the beast. Is that what you believe? Uh, explain this to me. And I'm going to open my Bible to Revelation 14, and I'm going to give him a little Bible study. Bill, let's open our Bibles. And I'm going to open my Bible, and you need to be doing this too. Uh, in Whitehorse Media, we have T-shirts with the Ten Commandments. We have bumper stickers with the Ten Commandments. We have tracks with the Ten Commandments. And all of them point to the Ten Commandments and then lifting up Jesus Christ. And I can just imagine being on a show with Bill O'Reilly and opening my Bible and saying, Bill, do you believe in the Ten Commandments? And he probably would say yes, he would because he, he's Catholic, and most Catholics do believe in the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to show him this verse in chapter 14, verse 12, that says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. Can you do that? Can you talk to your friends, your neighbors, the media, whoever, and open your Bible and show them that the Bible talks about people who keep the Ten Commandments? Surely you can do that. And we're going to be doing it all around the world. And we're going to be lifting up the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to show him, Bill, let's take a look at the Big Ten. Number one, number two, number three, number four. And go down to the fourth commandment and show him that the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. And I'm going to ask him, Bill, do you know what the seventh day is? What day is the seventh day? It's Saturday, Bill. It is. It is. Ask a Jew. It's Saturday. From sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And that's the day that Jesus kept. Now, and let me ask you, and I might ask Bill, and I'll ask you, what's wrong with Sunday legislation? There's two, two main things. Why is Sunday legislation wrong? Okay, number one, that's right, because it's Sunday, not Sabbath, 
It's really the wrong day. That's the first thing that's wrong. It's the wrong day. Okay, second thing, you said force, right? Yeah, it's force. Jesus never forces people to be obedient. So wrong day and force is being used. And I'm going to show him, and you need to show people, that that's what's wrong with Sunday laws. We don't believe in, in a Sunday legislation because it's the wrong day and because we don't believe in force. And we need to be able to say that to the whole world when the crisis hits. And we need to be able to go down 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Now here's another very important point. We're not going to be able to do that if we don't know the Ten Commandments. If we're studying anything and everything and getting involved in all kinds of crazy things, we're not going to be able to direct people to the Ten Commandments if we don't know the Ten Commandments. Another point is that if we're breaking them ourselves, we cannot point people to the Ten Commandments. If we have skeletons in our closets, if we're breaking the seventh, you know, if you're, if you're fooling around with pornography on the internet, if you're uh, breaking the seventh commandment, how are you going to tell your neighbors the importance of keeping the Ten Commandments when you're breaking the seventh? Or you can't. Or if you're breaking the fourth, how can you do it? If you're, if you're uh, hating your parents, how can you tell people the importance of, of honoring your father and mother? If you have hatred in your heart, you can't talk about the sixth commandment. If you're lying, you can't talk about the ninth commandment. If you have idols in your life and you don't put God first, you're not going to be able to do it. So God has to have a people. And I believe he's developing that people right now. He's getting us ready. He's cleaning us up. We've got to get the skeletons out of the closet. We've got to confess everything, everything to the Lord. We have to search our hearts. We have to surrender to Jesus. We have to trust him completely. We have to get cleaned up now. So when the crisis hits, we can lift up the Ten Commandments. Now, when, I lift, when we lift up the Ten Commandments uh, in front of Bill O'Reilly or whoever else, and we say, am I going to say to him, Bill, you've just got the wrong day. The world's got the wrong day. Sunday legislation, it's the wrong day, and they're using force. And then am I going to say, and Bill, if you would just uh, stop keeping Sunday and start keeping Saturday, you'll go to heaven. Is that right? Is that what I say? No. If I were to have said that, if I just lift up the Ten Commandments like Paul does in Romans 3 and shows the whole world that people are guilty before God and the Holy Spirit convicts people when they look at the Ten Commandments that they've broken not just the fourth, but the fifth, the ninth, the second, the first, all the Ten Commandments, and God brings the whole world to a point, those whose hearts are open, to realize that they've broken his law, then the next question is, then what? Then what? What do we do? What does Paul do in the book of Romans? When he shows you, when he says, by the law is the knowledge of sin, and people see they're sinners, then what does Paul do? That's right. Then Paul lifted up Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And that's why, here's this quote right here. The message of Christ's righteousness is to sound. From one end of the earth to the other to prepare the way of the Lord. This is the glory of God which closes the work of the third angel. Once you understand the importance of the Ten Commandments, and what Paul says in Romans about the Ten Commandments, and you understand how practical the Ten Commandments are in this generation, that this 
modern, postmodern, whatever you want to call it, generation needs to see the Ten Commandments. Once you understand that, and that's very clear to you, and the Holy Spirit uses that law to convict people of sin, then you are, you are shut up to only one solution. There is only one message that can save the soul. There's only one message that can go from one end of the earth to the other to prepare the way of the Lord, which will close the work of the third angel. Only one. And that is the message of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Got it? It just makes so much sense, so much sense. Of all the laws of the world, the Ten Commandments are above them all. And once we've broken the Ten Commandments, our only hope is Jesus and his righteousness. And we need to tell people, Jesus, Bill, Jesus came down here and kept the law for you. Bill, Jesus died on the cross. He took all your sins and he died on the cross for you because he loves you. He loves you, Bill, and he paid the price. He suffered in his mind. He suffered in his heart as your hero to make it possible for you to be saved and to stand before God as if you never sinned. He did it all for you. And now, Bill, what are you going to do with him? You have to make a choice. And the choice is, are you going to give up sin and embrace Jesus as your Savior and become a commandment keeper, a full commandment keeper, or are you going to reject Christ and stay in sin? That's your choice. That is the choice. Are you going to give, I'll say it again, are you going to give up your sins and accept Jesus as your Savior and then through him become a commandment keeper? Or are you going to reject him as your Savior and continue to live in sin? That is the choice that everybody will have to make. And when we tell people that the beast is the Roman church and Sunday is Rome's day, and if you continue to go with Sunday, you're following Rome and the beast of prophecy. And if you keep doing that, then God will look at you and he will see that you've got Rome's mark. If you keep going with Rome, God will look at you and see you've got Rome's mark in your mind, which means you believe it, or your actions, which means you're doing it. Now, there will be some people that... Uh, that they won't believe it, that Rome's mark is the right mark, and they don't, and they don't, they don't believe that Rome has the right to change the Sabbath, but they'll do it anyway because they want to buy and sell. They want to feed their families. They want to keep their jobs. So they get the mark in their hands. Other people will, will believe it. They'll be deceived. They will call us the deceived ones. They will say Seventh-day Adventists are deceived. You're wrong. We're right. Join us or die. That's what they'll say. And uh, we're going to have to make a choice, too. But those who stand for the law of God and for Jesus during the final crisis, they will get the seal of God in their foreheads, and they will be protected all the way through. Although I do think some of us will die at the beginning. I think so. But uh, anyway, everyone will make a choice. Those who choose to follow the beast in their forehead get the mark in the forehead. Those who don't believe it but do it anyway, they get the mark in their hands. And those who say, no way, I'm not going along with Rome. I'm not going along with the beast. 
even if I can't buy or sell, even if I lose my job, even if I can't feed my family, no matter what, you're not going to put anything from the beast in my forehead. And the reason is this. The reason is this because I've seen the holiness of God's law and the significance of the seventh-day Sabbath. And I've seen my Savior who took my place, who took my sins and died on a cruel cross for me. And he rose from the dead. And I love him. And no matter what, I will not get the mark of the beast. The, the what's going to move people not to get the mark of the beast in their foreheads is because Jesus Christ is in their hearts. That's it. That's it. And some of us will be thrown into the fire just like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, just like they, I mean, not literally, but they'll be, they'll be in the hot seat. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down. But then Nebuchadnezzar looked, and he was shocked. And he said, hey, didn't we throw three men in there? What's, there's a fourth one in there. Who's that fourth one? And he looks like the son of God. Would you, would you rather be in the fire with Jesus or out of the fire without Jesus? If you take a stand for Christ during the final times, and we got to get ready now because we can't just get ready all of a sudden in the crisis. You can't have everything else in your forehead and then all of a sudden expect not to get the mark of the beast in your forehead. It's just not going to happen that way. We got to get ready now. We got to get clean now, get the skeletons out now, do the washing and cleansing now, have Jesus in our hearts now, and become, become commandment keepers now. And then when the crisis hits, we'll be able to stand up for him. And then if we get thrown into the fire, so what? We have Jesus in the, the fire with us. And when Nebuchadnezzar said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out, they, they're with Jesus in the fire. If I was Shadrach, I'd probably say, you know, let's, uh, well, let's go out in a little while. But let's talk to Jesus for a while. I mean, hey, Jesus is here in the fire with us. Wow. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar can wait. Yeah. And so they spent time with Jesus, and then they went out. And when they walked out without a smell of smoke, the whole Babylonian kingdom, they were glued on these men. They were glued on them. And the whole world's going to be looking at us. There's gonna, God's going to have a people. And there's a lot of people, I hate to say it, within the Adventist church who are going right out the door. When the crisis hits, they're not ready and they're going out. And there are other people that are out there that are coming in. Amen. And there's going to be a whole shift going on. And when it's all done, there's going to be a people who are keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, who are keeping the Sabbath, who are keeping the Ten Commandments because they love Jesus and they want to do what's right because they love him. That's it. And they will be sealed. And when the plagues fall on everybody else, and this, they're reported in the, in the news, Fox News, CNN, darkness on the Vatican, water turning to blood, boils on people's skins. They're going to be saying, but there's a group of people that don't have these boils. We have to get them. For some reason, you know, they think that the people that don't get the plagues are responsible for the plagues. How mixed up can you be? The reason why they're all mixed up is because the Holy Spirit is gone and Satan has full control and they see things, everything backwards. But God's people who are sealed will go all the way through the final time. Amen. And once we get all the way through, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God's going to be with us all the way, all the way until finally this people are going to look up and they're going to see the clouds open up. Praise God. Yeah, praise God. The clouds are going to open up 
and Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who's above all, King Jesus is coming down from the sky to gather his saints, his saints who love him and who keep his commandments because they love him and they are clothed in the white robe of the righteousness of Christ. And they're going to be lifted up and we're going to go seven days to the sea of glass. My little boy, we talked about that. He wonders, we're going to stop off at planets on the way up there? Are we going to get to do some touring of the universe on the way up during those seven days? I mean, he's got his mansion all planned out. You know, he came, he's got first floor, second floor, third floor. He knows what's on every floor. Uh, he's, my kids are excited. My daughter, she's five. There hardly as a day goes by when we have family worship and I say, do you have a, t- a prayer or a praise? When Abby will say, um, my prayer is that Jesus will come soon. My prayer is that Jesus will come soon. That's what she wants more than anything else. There she is. There's little Abby. Here's my closing illustration. There's my little, little girl. Uh, that was when she just turned four. She is uh, in our house with a big dollhouse behind her. She loves dolls. She's all girl. And I'll confess I play with dolls sometimes. When my little girl says, Daddy, will you play with me? Play with my dolls. She's hard to say no to. Well, uh, when, when she had her fourth birthday, she, um, she had a little party at our house. Grandma and Grandpa were there and some of her friends. And Grandma and Grandpa had bought her a gigantic dollhouse, which now you see her after I put it together. But before this picture, this dollhouse was in a box in our living room floor. It was a big box. And she didn't know what was in it. And she couldn't wait to open the presents, especially the big box. And so time came, presents, and she's pulling off the wrapper, pulling everything off. And then she looked, and she saw a picture on the side of a big dollhouse. And she was just shocked. She was so shocked. And she looked at Grandma and Grandpa with this look in her face, just this amazed look. And she said, Grandma, is this dollhouse really for me? And, uh, and they looked at her and said, yes, honey, of course. This is for you. This is for you. The center of the third angel's message, the center of the Bible, the center of what's going to lighten the earth with its glory, is the message of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And when he gave his life on the cross and took the sins of the whole world into his mind and into his heart and died, we should ask the question, did he do all of this just for me? Did he really do it? You know, is all this, Daddy, Abba, Father, is it really for me? And the answer is yes. Yes. He did it all for you. He did it all for you. And, uh, and those who understand that and hold on to the simple truths of the Bible, what I've shared with you, it's in Steps to Christ. It's in Romans. It's in Revelation. It's in my book, Christ, Our Righteousness, which will be available at our booth tonight after sundown, cheaper than the ABCs. We got a lot of them. We want to get rid of them. This book is loaded with this information about the history of the Minneapolis message. This message, 
is what we need today. And the devil is doing everything possible to get us away from it. But if we understand it and if we understand Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we will want him more than anything else. And that's what it's all about. So what you've heard today and what I've had the privilege of sharing, I believe, is the pure truth of the Bible. It is. And this is what we need. You know, we have to have truth that we can hold on to. How can we give a message with a loud voice if we don't know what it is? We have to do more than just ask questions. We have to find answers. And we have to find solid answers that we can share with the world. And there's nothing more solid than the Ten Commandments, which God wrote with his own finger on stone, and the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Mount Sinai and Mount Calvary. That's it. That's what the world needs. And God has called you and me to share this message and to live the Ten Commandments, to live a life of loving God, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and doing what's right in a world that's gone crazy. Make sense? All right. Let's kneel. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, <clears throat> dear God, thank you so much for Jesus Christ and his righteousness, his perfect message for us today, something that's so simple and so powerful. And Lord, I pray that you will search our hearts, that the Holy Spirit will go deeper and deeper and deeper in every heart here, that you will show us our sins. We can't even see them by ourselves. We don't know what our sins are unless the Holy Spirit shows us. Show us, Lord, where we've broken the Ten Commandments somewhere, the law of love, and then point us to the cross. Wash us, Lord. Cleanse us in your blood, in your forgiveness, in your righteousness. Take away our guilt. Take away our sin. Give us your Holy Spirit Give us your power and help us to become commandment keepers and to stand up for you in this last generation and to share these truths with others. Lord, bless this group. Bless those who listen to this on Audioverse. Bless this whole uh, convocation, this conference here. And Lord, may, may all of us here be part of the people that you are getting ready that you're getting ready for the final crisis. Get us ready, Lord. Get us ready. And Jesus, come soon and take us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.